Please turn to the book of Hebrews. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word about His word for the sake of our salvation and perseverance and battle of faith in this life to the glory of His name. Father, may we each individually in this room and corporately because we're about to hear your word. May we not harden our hearts as in the rebellion. but find it a swimming pool of play and joy in communion with you. Do it. Do your word. Let it live and be active in us to the glory of your name. Amen. This letter to the Hebrews I mean, as a whole, it's, it's like a, a giant forest of what the Christian life is. Now, last week, with these two verses in chapter 4, we went down into the forest and we looked at the trees of verses 12 and 13. We saw the trees of... The Word of God that is living, that it brings spiritually dead people to life. And it is the ongoing sustenance and sanctification to His people. We saw that it's active, that the Word of God going forth always accomplishes what God intends for it to accomplish. We saw that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cuts and it causes pain, it wounds, it heals. We saw that it is the authoritative judge of our thoughts, of our motives, of our intentions, the very depths of our being. That was last week. Okay, now, this morning, we don't want to miss what you see there for the whole forest of our lives. 
the whole forest of the Christian life in which these trees are found. Because the more we see the large picture of how we are to live and how we are to battle and how we are to fight, the more, therefore, we will be convinced to focus our attention and devote our lives to the Word of God. So, again, here's the flow of what God has been speaking to us through the writer in the book of Hebrews. It's clear. The purpose and goal of your life and existence is to enter God's rest. And to be saved from condemnation and to enjoy Him now with the hope of the reality of enjoying Him forever and ever in the resurrection. And to enter that rest. How do you do it? One way. Faith. Meaning, you trust Him. That's what it says in chapter 4, verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. Okay, the next. Well, how are you going to believe of Him if you have not heard? You don't know what to believe. To believe God, to trust Him, we must hear His Word. We, we must know what He has said. We must know His commands. His revealing of Himself and of us. We must know what He promises us in order to believe it. That's the point of verse 2 of chapter 4. For we have had good news preached to us just as they did under Moses. And so the emphasis of the author throughout this book so far, and he'll continue it, is that we must now be diligent in order that we do not give way to unbelief in our hearts rising up. That is, in other words, we must strive to drink and to feed upon and to hold to and to, to trust the written Word of God. Hear the flow of the book of Hebrews. Remember how he opened it. It's not an accident. Boy, he's a good writer. And he knew where he was going from beginning to end. God spoke. He did it through the prophets, but now he's spoken through his son. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 3 of chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that is revealed through the Word? Chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, today, right now, if you hear His Word, 
Do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. We, we hear this caution in chapter 3, verse 14, therefore. As every one of us who goes to church on Sunday mornings. For we do share in Christ. If. Indeed, we, we hold firm our original confidence to the end. As it is written, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore strive. Strive to enter His rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The sin of living without repentance in unbelief. That is, the sin of not trusting God. That's the great danger of Every Christian person. Right? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart falling away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you may fall or none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of your sin. At the heart of all sin, there lay the lie, the deception. All sin and, and are good, persuasive lies. The lie says to us, and every one of us experienced this, every one of us has fallen into this as true Christians. It says, that thought, that desire, that attitude, hmm, it's not so bad. I mean, there are a lot worse things than that. And if you live by your heart, if you obey the stupid speeches at graduations, follow your God says about that through Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. That's where every one of us live. And that's where the power of God's word, which is outside of our heart to begin with, that's where it comes in. That's where our text, chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, comes in. Now remember.
Remember the context? Right before it, verse 11, he tells us to fight against, you sum it all up in a flow, I've been trying to unpack, fight against the deceitfulness of sin, which is always connected to our unbelief in what God has said. In order, strive against it. Now verse 12 comes. For. Feeds right into it. Here it is now. The word of God is living. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. To the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. And able. Able. To discern. To judge you. What a Judge the thoughts that no one else knows. To judge the intentions of your heart. Nothing exposes our sin like the Word of God. It shines and we see it. That's a beauty. Because we see it as believers. We can flee from it. We can flee from the cliff in Palace Verdes and not fall over into unrepentant unbelief. So what we need protection from is the core of the forest of this book, is unbelief. Every day we need to fight unbelief. That is, our hearts, our minds, our lives moving towards not trusting what we know God has said. That's what unbelief is. Because it is unbelief that will keep us from God's rest. That's what's at stake in the call in verse 11 of chapter 4 to strive, to enter His rest. And that's why the Word of God in verse 12 is so crucial for us. The Word, it penetrates to the bottom of our pride, our rationalizations, our, our defensiveness and deception. And it exposes there's a seed of faith in there. Yeah. And it exposes. There's unbelief growing up there. It, is, it assesses our thoughts. Even before they become action. It assesses our intentions. on Whether we're trusting God or not. This is what we are desperate. For in our lives. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Because this is the Christian life. A battle of your own sinfulness.
he has left you with, even though he brought you to new life and the Spirit is in you. So it works. Here's an example. You get to a place where you start more and more wringing your hands in anxiety. And you look around more and more and you see what others have. The house or property or toys or gal or guy and whatever. And more and more you get discontented with God who's sovereign. More and more that which the Bible calls the Tenth Commandment, covetousness. You begin to start to think, I deserve that. What do you do? Our text says the answer is the Word. It's the Word of God. You've got to know, where can I go? And so, in that instance, one place to go would be to crack open 1 Timothy chapter 6. And you would read. And you allow it to slice you open. And to cut you. And to expose. And then to heal with His loving promises. For instance, beginning in verse 6. You read, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do I believe it or not? That's, that's, that's it. That's always constantly the test in us. Help my unbelief. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For his argument, we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire there's this, this, this epithumia, there's this, this lusting, covetous desire to be rich. They fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love that the worship of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving of covetousness that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Oh, but as for you, Timothy, oh, man of God, flee these things. 
Don't, don't just turn. Run as if you saw a monster in your dream. And, and, and do something positively. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. In other words, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That last verse, I remember that day when I asked my professor, Daniel Fuller, to sign my textbook, which from his class after 25 years finally was put in book form. He did, he wrote, and then after he wrote, he ended it with 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight. The good fight. In essence, flee covetousness. Fight every day to trust God's word. It's a fight to trust his promises and his commands against all the innate deceitfulness of your own sinful heart. And so you take 1 Timothy and the Spirit shows up as you read and and you're empowered again. What's happening there? What's happening is chapter 3, verse 12 of Hebrews. What's going on? You're taking care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And falling away from the living God. The danger of an evil unbelieving heart that wants to lead you away from God. The issue in all of that, ongoingly, in one area, another area, there's all kinds of categories of where we're not trusting Him. It is always a trust issue concerning what God has Spoken. And the way our hearts become unbelieving uh, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, in verse 12, which, that's what you fight against. He says the way that that happens is through the very clever deceitfulness of sin in verse 13. So we need help. We need, we're desperate for help. To keep from being deceived by sin. And that's what Hebrews 4 verse 12 is about. The word of God. It's alive. It's living. It's active. It it penetrates to, to the core of our thoughts. 
our motives, our, our intentions. It shines the light on our sin so that its deceptive character can be unveiled to us again and again and then killed again and again. It's the deceitfulness of sin. What does that mean? We all know. And if you don't know, when I, when I say this, you say, oh yeah, that, okay, now I know, I know. Sin, in your voice, starts to speak. Speaks to you. Your only hope for true happiness More and more money. More and more stuff. Therefore, prioritize that first above everything. That's what it does. Or it speaks to you. Real happiness will come only if you can lay into that person you're so angry with and give them a piece of your mind and explode it on. That's, that's where you're going to find your satisfaction now. Sin speaks and it says you won't have financial security if you don't work 80 plus hours a week and therefore forsake the Bible, forsake prayer, forsake church life. It's deceptive. It's, it says we're in love. I mean, we're, we're not really hurting anybody. And therefore, let's sexualize our relationship as boyfriend and girlfriend. It says, God made me a homosexual. Certainly, God's love and he wants me to be happy. Th th therefore, I ought to practice live out to those innate desires. It says, God, He wants me to be free to pursue my career that I've worked so hard for in seven years of higher education. I didn't plan this pregnancy. So, so He's going to certainly, in my case, understand it, that if I go kill the baby, Those inner thoughts are what Hebrews 3.13 call the deceitfulness of sin. No one falls for a scam in this life unless a good con man hoodwinked you and you fell in and believed. And thus you were deceived. Those thoughts, get, they get embedded deep in the heart, deep in our rationalizations, deep in our intentions. Unbelief, therefore, in that area starts to begin to win the day on you where you're not believing in God's promises there. We're not trusting Him. And what's our only hope, therefore? The only hope is that there is a tool that can come and can slice us open. 
and get deep down in there and slice through all the deceit and the deceptiveness and judge our thoughts and our intentions. And that's what our text is about. The Word of God. This book, the whole thing is our only hope. The good news of God's promises and His warnings against us in it and for us in it and His judgments in the book, they're sharp enough. They're living enough. They're active enough to penetrate to the depths of our hearts to convict us where we're being deceived to heal us and empower us with His promises. That with, to us, we looked right at Him at that moment. Oh, I know that. I already know that. No, you don't know that right now. Because if you did, you, you would be like the man in the temple, the tax collector that Chris read this morning in the Bible reading. That's all of us to one extent or another, at one time or another, and as believers, we're also that man. Hebrews 4.12 is our great hope coming right after Verse 11, strive to enter God's rest by fighting off the disobedience that's flowing out of your heart of unbelief. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of your spirit and of joints and of marrow. It's able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. In other words, verse 12, you know, it says to us, shout for joy, Christian, because God has not left you to your own devices. He hasn't left you to your own tactics in your battle against sin, in your battle against unbelief, in your battle to trust God. He gave you. It's because the Word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharp. It can penetrate. It can heal. It, it can foment faith stronger and stronger again and again. Therefore, what's the point of the sermon? We're desperate for the book, for the B-I-B-L-E, because it is living, it's our life. If you're a Christian, it is your life. This is what Jesus meant by if my words abide in you. Never if they're alive living in us. When he said that, my words abide in you. What does it mean? Doesn't it clearly mean if when you hear them, you hear them as 
living words from the mouth of God himself. And you know, I must respond in faith or otherwise I'll respond in unbelief. So when he says, if my words abide in you, he means as you read the words that are on the pages of Scripture, he means if they're received by you, if they're welcomed, by you, if they're internalized and remembered by you, if they're believed by you, if they're pondered like Psalm 1, meditated over as living life to you, in the very presence of God, who is always right there with you. That's the point of the sermon. This is your life. So over the next 10, 12 minutes, whatever, let me just close and try to be as Practical, therefore, if that be true, what shall we do? Not as if none of you don't do these things, but if you haven't one or two, commend it. And or we always need reminders. First and foremost is this. Practically, what do you need? I don't know how long, I'm, how long I've been preaching. 34 minutes. What you've heard over the last 34 minutes, you've got to be persuaded of, foundationally. It's the most practical, foundational thing. You've got to be persuaded of the reasons why you are desperate to meditate on the Scripture. It's your life. It's your, it's your weapon against unbelief. And not only that, It's your joy. Because at the core of almost all deceitfulness of sin is an appeal to, you'll be happy here. You'll be happier here. And the Word of God says against that, no, you'll be happier. Do you remember how Jesus said it in John 15? These things I have spoken to you. Okay, here it is. Just slow down. Whatever those are, which is everything he spoke to us, isn't that the word of God? Okay. He, he says there's a purpose I did it to his disciples. These things I've spoken to you. Why, Jesus? So that my joy, the very 
eternal joy of God the Son in true humanity. That my joy may be in you. I don't know if I want that. Yeah, you do. Why, Jesus? Because if that's true, and that your joy may be full. So you've got to be convinced of your desperateness for the Word. Then secondly, what do you do? You plan. You plan a place, you plan a time to read the Bible and ponder it prayerfully every day. It is a meeting place with a person, not just a book. So how important is this person compared to all the obligations and all the other persons in your life? You schedule him in. Look, yes, spontaneous prayer over Bible is often a, a big part of life but the main reason we Christians get caught where we don't pray very much for a period or we don't read Scripture very much is precisely because we don't plan it. No one drifts into spiritual vitality. When we drift, we drift with the world and with our flesh into hard-heartedness. The living Word of God, the Word of God that is on the pages with black marks in the Bible, when you allow the meaning of it to come off the page to you, it is alive. And so unless that word is working, unless we are under its authority, under its instruction, it can't do that work. And therefore that requires consciously setting aside time for this to happen. Third, Decide ahead of time what you're going to read. If you say, oh, it's Bible time, and you don't know where to go, often we just flow. I don't know, I get really bored. and Hate that. Have a plan for this month. Maybe it's to read the book of Galatians every day for a month. Maybe... It is to, okay, over the next month and a half or two months, I'm going to read the entire New Testament. Or I'm going to start, and I'm gonna, you know what, it's been a while, I'm going to read the books of Moses, Genesis, through Deuteronomy. Or I'm going to read through the Psalms now. Or some of you are like my wife, it's worked for her, the one-year Bible plan. There's different kinds of plans. You can, there's a one-year Bible, isn't there? Some of you probably have it. I don't know if you've done that one. Hers is, I think, you read one. Old, you read an Old Testament every day, and then New Testament, and then a psalm, proverb, or ecclesiastes, or poetry, right? And then as you do that and you mark it off, so you can get through the whole Bible. 
in a year, but in other words, decide what you're going to read. Fourth, memorize verses or paragraphs, chapters of Scripture, if not books. I, I think there's at least... And I, I have never memorized a whole book in order to let me go recite that thing like that. But there, I know there's, think there's five of you in here that I know that have actually memorized whole books and recited them from beginning to end. Why is that so crucial? Because life happens. And in the midst of the battle of unbelief, to be able to pray pertinent text of Scripture. Therefore, you praying according to the will of God flowing out of you. We know that He hears us. And throughout your day, no matter whether you're a hammer and a nail or driving a car or lying on a beach, you can meditate on those portions of Scripture, even without a book in your hand. When you memorize Scripture, the Word of God is there, not just in times of crisis. It's there daily to continually form you and mold you and shape your thinking and judge you when your thinking's getting off. The most spiritually minded Christians are those who just ooze the Bible. Finally, remember in all of that, oh, it's really, is this connected to number one? Okay, let me just, um, I stopped my thought, okay? Yep, big. It is not merely go through motion. You, you know how well that works, right? I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to go to church. I went to church. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to read my Bible. I did some Bible. No, no. And check off a list. No, it's not what it's about. It's about being convinced, number one, and why you're desperate. And therefore, in all of that, here's the goal in that Bible reading. It is to get with God presently. It, 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 it is mixed up with your heart being convicted and poured out with God. It is about worship of God. So as you read, you read consciously in the living presence of the resurrected Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Consciously remind yourself that as you're reading the living Word, the living God is right there. And so, I'm going to close by giving a, it, it might, it's only a two and a half minute quote, but I'll read slowly, I want it to just sink in. From George Mueller, 1800s. Loved Jesus. His call, his ministry was mainly to take care of orphans build orphanages and raise money, and do schools. And he actually cared for more than 10,000
thousand orphans. But I close with his words to us about the B-I-B-L-E. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. For I might seek to set the truth before the unconverted. I might seek to benefit believers. I might seek to relieve the distressed. I I might in other ways seek to behave myself as it becomes a child of God in this world. And yet, not being happy in the Lord And not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day, all of this might not be attended to in a right spirit. And so before this time, my practice had been, at least for 10 years previously, as a habitual thing, to give myself to prayer after having dressed in the morning. Not so anymore. Sorry, that was my words. Next one. Now, Muller tells us, now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted Encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed. And thus, while meditating, my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. Last pair. The result I have found to be almost invariably this, that after a very few minutes, my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation on the Word, Yet it almost immediately, more or less, became prayer. End quote. Be convinced while you're desperate. Fight by reading the Bible, by planning it and having a plan what you're going to read, memorize, and internalize the Scripture. Let's adore the Lord now together in song. He who has revealed himself through the prophets 
and in these last days through his Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your wonderful good hand. We thank you for our brother, Muller, who we just read, who has long been with you, Paul, David, the many saints of the book. May each of us be more so people of the book in our devotional lives more than ever. For we are convinced of the joy set before us and we're convinced of the battle that we are in. And we know that it is through this response to your word from our hearts and actions that you are glorified. And that is our great joy. That you be glorified in us through your son, Jesus Christ.